gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you know what you believe and why you believe it, because what you believe drives who you are Mm -hmm. and how you view the world and how you experience life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And we can't do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, (laughs) Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, hey, everybody. We are here for you. You know, it's interesting because if you think about our little business model, you know, there's not a whole lot of bidness in it. (laughs) (laughs) Just the business of saving lives. (laughs) That's right. Well, all we do is this podcast. We do this. We put all this work into it. It's free. We we, uh, give it away for free. And the reason why is because one of the things that helped me discover who I am and what reality I'm living in, and that's really important, is that we have to understand the metaphysical reality that we're living in. Now, I know everybody doesn't go to college and learn all this language and all these words and stuff. Hey, I went to college and I didn't even learn any of those language <laughs> or words. So, <laughs> But the bottom line is everybody asks a basic question, why am I here and what's the point of life? And really what you're asking is if there's physical laws like gravity, Mm. you know, if there's a negative and positive attraction, these magnetic laws, are there any spiritual laws? In other words, are there, why do I wonder why my life has purpose or not? And why does it bother me when I don't? And I'm at peace when it does. One of the things that helped me discover who I am and what reality I am living in was through challenging myself on what I believed. Mm. And so that's what's so important about this whole thing is that the podcast, we do this to help you not only understand a deeper sense of what is taught in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, about what it means to know Jesus and to walk with him in this life, but also helping you understand and challenge, get you to think a little bit deeper in order to clarify what you believe and why you believe it. Well, and that clarification really forces you to evaluate what you believe in your life, and it pushes you to grow. I mean, once you verbalize yeah. what you believe, you either have to accept the craziness or the yeah. truth <laughs> of what you're saying Same. you believe. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I, I deal with this a lot in um, debates when I used to um, competitively debate back in high school, and it was, okay, you have this plan. Tell me how you're going to, you know, raise funds for it. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. And it's once you verbalize it, then you yeah. can kind of start breaking things down yeah. about whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And it further refines that edge, that ironing, sharpening, iron sharpening, iron mentality yeah. of really talking it out and clarifying causes you to really understand what you're doing and what you believe. As, uh, once it, if it's all just up in your head and you never say it out loud, you never have a discussion about it, it could be nebulous what you yeah. really believe because yeah. you're not pa- actively having to form sentences to say, this is my belief. Yeah, and right? sometimes it doesn't make any sense until you actually articulate it to somebody else. And then you go, did I just really say that? That seems wrong. <laughs> or sometimes it's, I know that that's right. I believe yeah. that yep. that's true and that's right. Yep. So I think it's really important in this podcast to help people start having those discussions to yeah. really sharpen their beliefs, and their way of thinking. I think that's the biggest thing. We t- we talk about this all the time. We're not here to tell you what to think, but 
how to make your own choices and right. how to think. how to think for yourself. how to think yeah. not what to think but how to think yeah um so we're currently studying first john in yes. this series called nonsense um john's letter to the church really helps this process because it shows how clarity is necessary to experience all the best things in life love yeah. joy yeah. and peace so talk to us a little bit about um i think we're in chapter five right yeah first john chapter five wraps up the whole letter uh, he just basically reiterates a lot of the points that he was making out uh, throughout the book. John does this a lot in his writing. He mm. revisits things that he says from a different angle a little okay. bit. And it was written, please remember, as a refutation of Gnosticism. This was a philosophical belief system that adopted all of the verbiage of Christianity okay. and tried to create a new uh, style of faith or religion. Now, today, I think this is so appropriate because our world, America, is very Gnostic in its way of thinking. Not necessarily what it thinks, but its way of thinking. The way it processes information and the assumptions that it makes is extremely Gnostic in nature. And uh, this creates a tremendous confusion in the lives of people. And the words of Jesus are words of life. And part of living life is to take away the senselessness, all the nonsense in your life, so you can live a sensible, a senseful life, believing um, what the real reality in which you exist actually is. And if you if you don't want to walk this path, you can live a senseless life, believing whatever the world says, internalizing the beliefs of the world. But Jesus says that ultimately this ends in death, and I think it ends in death of your soul and death of your purpose and the the death of the point of your whole life, mm. as well as eternity. And so that's why I think this is such an important book in all of this discussion about Gnostic thought. Well, let's recap kind of how, where we came from in First John. So mm-hmm. chapter 1, he starts his refutation of Gnosticism by teaching that we got to believe what is the true reality, right? Um, in essence, we must believe and accept that God, what God says about us, who we are, and what our actual problem is. The mm-hmm. reason we're not happy or at peace or spiritually alive. So then he moves into chapter 2 and he says, he teaches on how we embrace this reality. Chapter 3, he teaches how we should be living in this new reality. And then um, last week, while we were in chapter 4, it was all about real love. Uh, if we live in this new reality, what that life and mm-hmm. love should look, look like. like. So let's move into chapter 5. Well, what, cha- are, what are we learning in chapter 5? Well, chapter 5 uh, you know, starts off, and you'll hear some very, very similar to themes if you've been following along. And, and we always challenge everybody who's a part of the Salty Pastor, if you're a part of uh, the digital community of faith at Foothills or you're on campus, if you're in a small group, is that we want everybody to just read through the book whenever we're in a series mm. as many times as you possibly can. It's five chapters long. It doesn't take very it's not long. not a lot. It takes 10 minutes, but you can really just over and over and over read it. And I know some people that uh, have been reading it, you know, every single day throughout this entire series. So they read through this book you know, 40 times and maybe even more than that. I mean, it's fat, 
it, it's a fabulous thing, and they it just really you know the book. Well, and what I I've been loving to do is I walk my dog every morning, yeah, and I'll take the Bible app and I'll pick a new translation, and then just have the Bible app read it to me yeah. while I'm walking. Yeah. So I'm getting those different flavors of yeah. translations. So it's like you can physically read it, which I think is always good, yeah. seeing the words. But then if you you can kind of passively also it. listen to it while you're doing. A How long does it take? I'm curious, the Bible app to read all five chapters. I haven't read. I haven't had to read all five chapters because I kind of just focus on the chapter we're in each in, week. Yeah, um, yeah. I But I mean, it's not. It's not very long. long. I mean, it's like <laughs> I, I, I'll usually get through two or three translations. There's a lot of translations in the Bible. Yes. I don't know if you know this, Pastor Doug, but um, I've been just kind of working through all of them. But I mean, I, I can't imagine if yeah. I combined them over the last couple of weeks when I've been doing the walks. My walks aren't super long. Um, I mean, you could probably get through it in probably 15, 20, 20 minutes. 15, 20 maybe. minutes, yeah. The, I mean, depends because each translation great. has a different narrator, so they, yeah. they take different speeds Speeds. yeah yeah well let's just just jump in here and listen to what he says everyone who believes that jesus is the christ is born of god and everyone who loves the father loves his child meaning jesus as well this is how we know that we love the children of god by loving god and carrying out his commands in fact this is love for god to keep his commands And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So John's style of writing is so unique, and he reiterates these themes over and over again, particularly about the reality concerning your life. Mm. And that the only way to really get into the metaphysical truth of who you are and why you're here is to know Jesus. Without Jesus, you'll never understand it. So not just Jesus, the person like, oh, I believe there's a guy named Jesus lived a long time ago, said stuff that changed the world, but who he is in his nature, which is God and the savior of the world and what he did. So this is really important is Gnostics tried to separate all this out. You know, they, they commonly would say, well, Jesus did some, you know, said some great things, but yeah, he obviously wasn't deity. So they, they tried to deconstruct him, you know, mm-hmm. into different parts. And John keeps saying, you can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Cause it's all nonsense when you do right. creates nonsense. I, I think it's really interesting. He says, his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And what's really interesting is that following the path of Christ is not hard when you've overcome the influence of the world in your life. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So, so sometimes when the, the world influences me too much in my way of thinking, John would say what that does is create senselessness. It creates confusion. There's not a lack of clarity clarity and it looks like it's so hard it's like oh that's so hard i could never do that that's impossible what do you mean and you know i think a perfect example of this is in generosity because jesus talks over and over again in the book of matthew and well all the gospels luke and and john and x but um uh, mark but particularly matthew he talks about the whole notion of being generous and giving to God and tithing to God and so many people really in America struggle with that right, right. they struggle with just giving a basic tithe of 1% to God well and it took me a long time to develop that habit yeah. it's it's 
it seems so hard. Yeah. And when you start to do it, you're like, who are those people who give 10% to God? Those people are nuts. Right. You know, that's impossible. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, my wife and I, over the years, we give like 20% away now. And what was interesting is, uh, of course, that evolved over time. But the thing is, is that and I'm not trying to say I'm the perfect example. I'm just trying to say that in some regards. Pastor Doug's not flexing on everybody. <laughs> I'm not flexing on you, man. I'm just simply trying to use myself as an illustration that that when you start off, you're like, boy, I could never do that. That's crazy. But then what happens is the the more you walk with God and follow his commands, the easier all the things that bring the greatest joy to your life become, the easier it is. You know, like here's another perfect example. And that is, is that when a man falls in love with a woman and a woman falls in love with a man and they get married, right? Mm. And then uh, they have a honeymoon period of time. That could be one year. It could be five years. It could be five minutes. But the bottom line is at some point in their marriage, they just annoy the living snot out of each other. <laughs> I mean, they just can't stand each other. They annoy each other. And, and then they get in this power struggle. Well, if he would do this, then I would do that. If she would do this, I would do that. You know, it's tug of war and they're fighting and they're all upset. And, mm-hmm. and, and they start thinking, I'd be so happier if I was in a different situation. Without ever understanding that you weren't in this situation with this person, but you are now. Right. And the reason it got there is because of the two of you. So the chances of it getting into that situation with anybody else is even higher mm. the second time around. So what happens is when you follow God and the closer you are to God, the easier it is to love your husband, even if he's not, you know, blessing you the way you want at the time or speaking your love language or whatever. It's easier to love your wife even when you feel like she's being incorrigible. Right. And so that that's what's so important is our faith overcomes the difficulty. Our faith overcomes the confusion and the nonsense of this world that destroys things, you know, destroys love, relationship all across the board. You just see victories in your life. We just sang this last week, um, See a Victory, which is one of my yeah. newer favorite worship songs. And in it, it just talks about, you know, my God, uh, will never fail. He only knows triumph. And he, it just talks about these battles yeah. you wage. And the closer you are to him, he doesn't lose. So right. it's like, yeah. if you're struggling, don't run yeah. away. Run closer because yeah. he's the one that wins every battle. He's the one that when darkness falls, yeah. he's going to prevail. So He always wins. He always <laughs> wins. It's like you want to be on the winning side. So don't yeah. run away from the guy that's going to win. And he'll make sure you're taken care of. Yeah, and the path of winning though is always different for all of us because it's yeah. about developing and sharpening and and increasing our faith. The in, then and that you know you said victory is so important because he ends with this these sets of verses by saying this is the victory that overcomes the world. Mm. So Jesus is the answer to all victory. Jesus is the answer to the senselessness of your life. It overcomes confusion. You know, it overcomes a lack of direction. Right. It overcomes the purposelessness. 
of life, that feeling like you don't fit, you have no reason to live, you don't know why you're here. G- knowing Jesus overcomes all of that. Mm. It, it helps you overcome the things you believe that undermine you, hurt you, hurt the people around you that you love, you know, the things that you're doing that annoy the living snot out of your spouse <laughs> and you don't even know it. It helps you overcome the things that you adopted when you were younger to medicate the pain of all these unrealistic beliefs in the world. You know, the world confuses us, gets us to have unrealistic or faulty, false expectations. We adopt false identities. And then the only way to get away from the stress and the pressure that that wraps our soul and our hearts and our minds in its grip is people drink, you know, they'll go mm. and they'll party. Some people pursue just all kinds of relationships without any moral boundaries. People push the envelope on how they look. And, and that's where, you know, so, you know, I just read recently, that between 20 and 30% of the people in the United States of America are addicted to some type of chemical. And so that's just going to exacerbate the emptiness of life. And Jesus is the answer to that. Well, and that's what I see as a millennial. Um, Mm -hmm. That's what I see with a lot of my colleagues that don't have faith. Um, You know, kids I grew up with, went to school with, friends even, they have this emptiness that they're just trying to yeah. find some way to fill. And so whether that's with their sexual identity, I mean, I, you know, I look on Facebook, I have a couple of friends that in the last five, six years have changed their sexual identity or it's evolved multiple times. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's what they define themselves as. Like, that's what they post about. That's what they spend their time in. I've seen people that are, you know, out drinking and partying at clubs every night because they feel like that's the way to fill their void. Mm-hmm. They're, they're looking for a way to make sense out of life. And they just kind of find this thing that's like, okay, well this makes me at least feel good for a little while. Yeah. And this gives me quote unquote sense. It makes sense of life for me. Cause I know at least what I get out of it, but it's diminishing returns yeah. usually. And Always. most of the time, yeah, I mean you, yeah. And it's, it just ends up with them being miserable and either moving on to something else and trying to fill it with something new or, it, it uh, yeah. escalates even more and, you know, they maybe started off smoking weed and now they're up playing in higher power drugs because they yeah. can't get the same high that they had and they're still feeling empty. And so it's like I'm seeing that across the board because they have no truth to live by. Right. Right. They're, no it's, truth. The truth is constantly evolving. The media, the politicians, the world, the culture is all saying, well, truth is all relevant and you just pick your own truth and you'll be happy. And it's like, well, but nobody's happy. So I, I don't, yeah. you're, this isn't working. Like yeah. <laughs> nobody's happy anymore. And, so, and the deception there in our society is, which is Rousseau's philosophy. A lot of people don't know that this is the predominant philosophy in our society is that the role of society is to affirm whatever you believe your identity to be. Right. Society's the problem. So if you adopt this new identity and then you're still not happy, then whose fault is it? Somebody else's fault. Yeah, it's society's fault. Yeah. So I think Jesus is absolutely necessary yes. for all people. Young people, yep. people my age, people your age. All of us need Jesus because that's the only thing that's going to fill that hole. That's going to make sense out of the craziness that is life now. And it's not a new thing. Like we, we talk about how crazy the world is now, but right. it's been getting crazy 
for a long, long time. time, and it's been crazy before. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason John wrote this letter was because things were crazy back then too. Yeah. So it's like you can't you can't do the the well back in my day it was all better it really wasn't it (laughs) It was just a a different form a different kind of crazy so you need jesus yeah and well verse 6 and 12 you know really digs into that listen to this he says this is the one who came by water and blood jesus christ he did not come by water only but by water and blood and it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three in our agreement. Now, why is he saying this? Some people read verses 6, 7, and 8 and go, boy, this sounds kind of odd. And early church fathers, um, different people had different ideas on what he meant. But when you really start to understand Gnosticism, you know, what they did is they deconstructed it and they tried to separate all of these things as separate entities. And what he says is, no, they're all are one the same. Tertullian, the earliest church father, he was 155 to 220 AD. He believes that John is referencing the water is his baptism, the blood is his crucifixion, and the spirit is the dove that descended upon Jesus. And if you look at John chapter one, the gospel according to John, so this is the exact same author. He starts off the whole thing, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right. Okay. And then verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's saying Jesus is God. And then Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in verse 32, John the Baptist He quotes John the Baptist saying, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So this is in chapter one of the gospel according to John. And then we, we blip back over to this little statement right here, and it brings such clarity to it. See, this is the one who came by water, baptism, by right. blood, his crucifixion, and by the Spirit testifying. So the, the Spirit descended and testified. This is, and John witnessed this, the Baptist, with his own eyes. So... That's what he's talking about here. Let's move on to verse 9 where he says, Now we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater. Now this is a very important principle, I think, to understand, and that is is that all truth ends up being God's truth. So this is why, you know, I love reading science. I love reading what scientists are doing. You know, I'm always really fascinated with Tesla and what they're coming out with. You know, I can't wait till the tech gets to the point where I can buy an all-electric truck that just can go to zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds, you know? And travel 300 yeah. miles. and tow a 15,000-pound trailer. I'm wait- It's not quite there yet, but it's getting, it's getting close. close. And so I'm so excited about that. But anyway, I love reading all this stuff. And I don't see, I don't have a fear of science. I have a love of science. Mm. And the reason why is because all truth is God's truth. And he says here, we accept human testimony. So we accept that. 
we accept it in a court of law. It has a certain validity to it, and it's important to understand that. But just remember, it all points to God because his testimony is even greater. In this particular case, he's saying that God, through the descending of the Holy Spirit, gave testimony that Jesus was God. So he, verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts the testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So there you have it. The reason Jesus is so important is because if you don't have him, you're dead. Well, and this reminds me of First uh, John chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17, it talks about how everything in the world is passing away. Yeah. Um, and really everything is either dead or dying. We, we see this in, in the technology, um, in the things that basically nothing on this planet lasts forever. I mean, Twinkies claim that they can last forever, but I think <laughs> they even eventually go bad. Yeah. And um, that's what it is. It's like everything will eventually, we die the, the yeah. everything that all this technology will eventually yeah. crumble away. Everything will eventually die. Even then, cockroaches. Even cockroaches. And then the ideologies that are being propagated will eventually die. We see yeah. things happen all the time of, oh, we're for this. Oh, no, never mind. This is bad now. Yeah. That all dies as well. Yeah. The only thing that lives forever is Jesus. Yep. He's the only way. Yep. You can have eternal life. And yep. he's, he's life now. He's life in the future. And he's yep. life for eternity. It's not going to change. Everything else is either dying or already dead. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one that has true yeah. life. And yes. that's the only way you can have it. So it seems like there's a natural break after verse 12 um, as we go into 13. How does John conclude his letter to the church? Well, yeah, that, yeah, at verse uh, 13, what he does is he kind of just basically wraps it up really quickly, you know, and, and John's writing as well as a lot of those first century people, you know, you read like Paul, you read Peter, you read James, uh, they kind of, you know, they, they build this big argument and then they feel they've made their point. And they're just like, this is how to wrap it up. Okay. There you go. There's not a whole lot of, uh, well, paper was expensive. They didn't, yeah, need to, it's very, they didn't expensive. Wanna... very expensive. So they're pretty specific on what they wanted to say. Listen to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So what he's writing about here and why he wrote this letter to the church is so that we could have confidence. It's all about confidence. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we, we, that we have what we asked of him. So see, he's talking about intercessory prayer now. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, first of all, you have to have confidence that you know God, confidence that, you're, that you know Jesus. And then what that does is it allows you then to have confidence in your prayer life, particularly intercessory prayer life. It's a total new dimension of prayer when you do intercessory prayer. It completely reorients you outside of yourself. This is why if you're a husband, is that your wife will always annoy you. Your wife will always bother you. You'll always be frustrated or disappointed with your wife. If you never pray for your wife, Mm. you pray over her, you pray for her, you intercede to God on her behalf. 
You know, it's one thing to pray with your wife where you sit down and go, hey, you know, I'll pray, pray. But when you actually start praying in an intercessory way for your wife, I guarantee you 1,000% it will change the trajectory of your relationship in your marriage. Women, same exact thing for you. If you're married, uh, your husband will never get with the program that you've set for him. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. Uh, but you're always going to be frustrated or disappointed or hurt by his lack of love for you or his lack of attention and focus or, or deferment to you. you. Those things will always fall short in his life. But if you want to change the trajectory of your marriage and start interceding on his behalf to God. So if, let's say, for instance, one of the things men don't do well when they're insecure. Nobody does well when they're insecure. Yeah. Nobody does. But men in particular, and women in particular, manifest in different ways. And one of the things that you'll find, a man who's insecure tends to be a man who's not thoughtful. He's short. He's not calm. He's easily irritated and annoyed. He's not engaging and curious. He's closed off and leave me alone. And women misinterpret why their husband is that way. Right. You see, and the reason why they misinterpret that is because the husband doesn't know why he's that way. Mm. Okay. Well, it comes from insecurity. So if you want your husband to have a difference, what you do is you start interceding to God on his behalf. You see, you can't turn him into a secure person, right? right? He can't turn himself into a secure person. Only Jesus can do that. So you start saying, you know, pray to Jesus, help my husband develop confidence and courage in all of these areas of his life. Right. So that's what he's talking about here is that when you go to God, you have confidence that when you approach God, he hears you. Verse 16, he goes, says, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All <laughs> wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin, though, that does not lead to death. Now, the point here is that we are to especially intercede on behalf of those caught in lifestyles that undermine their faith destroy their confidence. You know, one of the things that's really important to understand is our, our Western brain goes, oh, what is the sin that leads to death? What is it? And then we spend all of our time figuring out. And the thing is, is he doesn't tell us. And I think he doesn't tell us for a reason. And the reason is, is that that's not the point. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. The point is, is that when people are involved in behaviors or ideologies or traps, we pray that they be set free. You know, that they will, you know, so I, I spend regular time praying for people who are going through physical things, you know, that they would be healed to be set free. I regularly am praying for people who uh, have family members or themselves that are dealing with alcoholism, drug addiction, or any other type of addictive behaviors, pornography, gambling, illicit relationships, all these types of things. Right. I pray that they would be freed from those things to discover who they really are. Um, I regularly pray for people who are going through things like gender identity questions. And, and what I'm doing is I'm not praying at the person. So someone comes to me, you know, like you asked me last week, you know, if a, a gal who is gay, which has happened many, many times, comes to me and says, you know, has a conversation with me about what would I say, is that what I do is 
I pray for them, not against them, but for them. I'm praying for them to God on their behalf. Mm. So I'm interceding, right? Right. So, and what that does is that makes you objective and it pulls you outside of yourself and it connects you to that person's uh, journey, their struggle, what they're working through. It, It connects you to it at this level without having to immerse yourself in it and affirm it. So you can be loving and you can be respectful, but you can also be truthful and honest because you're interceding to God on their behalf. Right. And so that's how that, I think, verse really is applicable. And then the last two, uh, three verses, 18, 19, or last four, I guess, he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And the one who was born of God keeps them safe, meaning Jesus, and evil cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So when things go bad in this world, don't ever forget the world's under the control of the evil one. That's why there's crappy things everywhere. Mm. And it's always going to be that way. Verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. See, it goes back to what it started off in all chapter one, and that is is that your life will never make sense until you understand what is actually true, the actual reality that you live in, who you really are as a person, what your real issues are, because we all think we know what our issues are, but Mm. a lot of us have no clue. And he says, this is why it's here, that you may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. In other words, don't fall into worshiping things that aren't God. So the goal of this reality, the goal of your life, is to be attuned to your Savior, Jesus Christ, more than you are attuned to the false reality, which is your sin. Hmm. Well, this letter uh, to the church from John has really helped me personally develop clarity about how I should be living my life, how Jesus has helped bring clarity and sense to Mm -hmm. my life. I have a grounding point. I have something tethering me to reality through him. And I've just really enjoyed this series because, I mean, we don't, we kind of do a mixture. When you preach, you do a lot of, we do, we'll do some book studies, and then we'll do some where we just hop around everywhere. Yeah. And I think it's always just really fun when we do these book studies because it gives us so much more clarity about the, the, the mindset of the author at the time when he was writing this, what he was really combating, and how things are not as different as we think from back then to mm-hmm. now. We just have more Facebook than they did back then. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I've really appreciated having more understanding and clarity in my life. Um, we are wrapping up this series very soon. Um, we're going to be moving into our summer series called Get Up and Go. It's all about really activating your faith and doing something with it, not just being passively faithful, not just saying, yeah. oh, I believe, but actually doing something with it. And it's conveniently in the summer when you can get up and go and do things. So I think that's going to be a really great series. Super excited about that. Um, We're just so glad that you guys decided to join us here on this beautiful Tuesday morning here in Boise, Idaho on the Salty Pastor. And hopefully you'll join us on Thursday as well. Blessings you all.